Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. So something really important for us here at Precision Sourcing is mental health. It's something we've been focused on a lot over the last year or so. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with the Black Dog Institute. And we're going to be doing a lot of events with them this year. A lot of our events, money will be going towards them. And they're out there aiming to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So if you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link in the bio on this podcast. And you'll be seeing a lot more information about Black Dog over the next year. So, so well, welcome once again to the Keeping Up With Data podcast with myself, Joel Robinson, and my colleague, James Ross. And we're <laughs> here today joined by Ben McNeil. Uh, ben, as always, are with our guests, we are not going to introduce you for you if you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself that would be fantastic yeah thanks for having me guys um so my my name is ben mcneil i guess i'm 20 years in climate science as a data sort of climate scientist um and the last few years i've um gone to uh, i've co-founded a startup called emmy uh and that's that's a platform a data-driven platform that that essentially empowers the world into the financial world to 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 go towards net zero emissions and carbon. So we're focused on the uh, climate problem, but but really from a data angle. Brilliant. No, I'm really excited about today. This was not to discount any of the other podcasts that we're doing, but this is an interesting topic that we haven't touched upon mm. yet on the podcast. Yeah, great. Thank you so it's much. Great to... Yeah, 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 excited. Great. So um, as always, we'll, we'll go through um, Emily on the streets. Um, we'll hit mm-hmm. the best data joke that you've got as well. We'll find out who you would take with you into a zombie apocalypse, the important questions. Um, but we'll get to those further down the line, so you don't have to worry about them right now. Um, but the first question, um, you've mentioned they're climate scientists for, for 19 years. I mean, let's tell the people, how do you become a climate scientist and how do you yeah. start in that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a bit, yeah, that's good. I mean, I think, I, actually, it's funny because I... Um, like with m- most sort of areas and careers, there's a lot of accidental, you know, you fall into certain places. But I had a really, I grew up in Queensland on the coast and had a, I love the ocean. So I kept, I was surfing all the time as a teenager and and just was really connected with, with nature and particularly the oceans. And this is way back in time. So when I was a teenager in the like, late, late 80s, uh, so then I would, you know, you, you saw news events and at that time, environmental, um, the awareness of the environment was just sort of taking off. But then there was a couple of big events that happened that really shaped, uh, I guess, shaped my passion. Um, and I, you probably don't remember, but there was this big oil spill in Alaska, um, in I think 1989 called the Exxon Valdez. And it, it just, um, a drunk captain just with you know he was taking thousands of tons of crude and really decimated this community this really pristine um community both you know this fishing fishing town and i remember seeing the images when i was young and thinking that that's just like yeah we have concert that you know everything we do has sort of some sort of consequence it's but well that was just such an impactful moment for me as a as a, as a young young kid um that how do we try and stop that? Like, how do we try and create better ways to to um to solve those 
problems before they come, you know. So that those types of events as a, as a teenager, as you probably guys know too, they sort of shape you and, and uh, it led me down the path of doing more in, particularly on the ocean. So I, I, uh, I started, I did an engineering degree, um, environmental engineering, and then beyond that, uh, fortunately did this, got this summer scholarship to go down to see it with, to work with the CSIRO. Um, there's a really huge Marine division down there in, in Hobart, actually in Tassie. And for Australia, the Marine and climate hub is really Tasmania. I don't know if everyone is aware of that, but because we have a link with Antarctica, so there's yeah. a huge program down there for Marine scientists, atmospheric scientists. And so I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship. I, I did that for four months and that was, I mean, that wasn't, necessarily data in the sense of the, what we think about it today it was going collecting samples on a ship and um, uh, then going to analyze the what what's what's happening in the real world so yeah. um, I loved it um, and that started that was the that was the start really and so from there I um, I did a PhD down there and and then from that Again, not necessarily big data. It was more going collecting and then analysing the the results. Then the satellites moved. Like a lot of in the in the ocean world, for example, in the climate world, a lot of satellites came online. A lot of more autonomous instruments started to to really um, um, be deployed, and that allowed. Obviously, there was just a ton of data. And at the same time, beyond that, there was models. So we started modelling in high resolution. So the demand for data, and this is the, this is what the late '90s, the demand for um, you know for, for for to analyze that and work out what the Wira world's doing, it was huge. Yeah, and good. so f so from that, I guess I, you know, I went to the US, went to um, did a postdoc over there, then sort of came back, and um, for yeah for a long time I was at the University of New South Wales. I'm an adjunct still there now, but. Uh, really focused on a number of different projects, but but uh, um, some big data projects in the ocean, trying to predict carbon dioxide levels and how that works, all the way through to small scale, going up to the Great Barrier Reef and working out, you know, if um, if so ocean acidification is a big challenge. So there was sort of a very variety, a variety of different um, projects I worked on during in academia and. Climate science overall was there too, so I was part of a, a big climate review um, as part of in 2009 when Obama was elected. Yeah. There was a big climate meeting in Copenhagen, and I was part of the this uh, a uh, a small group, sort of 20 leading climate scientists around the world, to to submit a review on this uh, on what the latest was at the time. So I was sort of in the buried in the details of my day to day projects with my students and postdocs and. Yeah. Well, and then all the, all the way up to the the sort of bigger, sort of more, I guess you'd call communications level, where it's you know trying to engage around around the data to policymakers, which that's brilliant. Is, is, is also another you know challenge. Yeah, I was uh, going to say. So, yeah. That's so that's, that's I guess that's the journey. And then I yeah flipped in the last few years. So look, I want to make bigger impact in yeah. the real world, and so I, I came from academia and and. Uh, and now I'm with Emmy, and and we're um yeah engaging real people. <laughs> yeah. And I'm excited to talk about Emmy. We'll definitely get into some detail on that. But that journey that you've described there, 
there's so many points that I think we want to pick on yeah, today sure. because yeah, it's, yeah, sure. it's not a normal journey. I mean, first of all, James, I'm, I'm generally, I know uh, for someone like yourself to know what you wanted to be so early in life is yeah. a great start into something which helped you get into it early because most people we speak to by the time they're 24 through five still don't really know yeah what they want to be right <laughs> i yeah. think most people in i mean as you you, you as i think most people don't i'm well, was really fortunate that i did um but i think there's nothing wrong with that it's being curious and open though along the way is sort of the most important factor and because it, it there's so many amazing things going on in the world you know it's um it, it, there's there's something will really drive you to do something you know it's unless yeah, it's, exactly. it's rare that that doesn't happen at some point eventually even when you're 50 you know yeah 100%. So. so i know you touched on something there i mean let's talk about that first before we go back in time in the sense you mentioned about influencing policymakers. you're one of 20 leading climate scientists doing yep. you know climate conferences when obama's getting elected and i know james the people that you speak to in the data world the biggest frustration they ever have is we know what the data says. We know what the insight is, but yeah, can't get people convinced. Yeah, yeah. So you go about actually like getting them to see what you're trying to show them, getting them on board about like this is what you've kind of asked us. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to change. How do you get them on that journey? So yeah. to speak. And I'm guessing for you, and I mean, we're not going to get too deep into politics, hopefully today, but um, it's the decision making is so driven by policy and mm. party lines and. This is what our party thinks, you know, the left wing or wing or, or right wing. So what's that been like for you as someone who I'm guessing has seen some really obvious things that need to change or need to happen? Yeah. And I've not seen it. Yeah, I think, you know, there's it's a it's a big question. And and I think I think it's not just data. I mean, science is built around data. I mean, sci the scientific enterprise and how we actually learn about the world is built around the core measurement and how you interpret that and work it out but uh and theorize on it but the thing is is that and what i realized it doesn't speak for itself you know mm. it's you may know what it means but the world doesn't and the story the narrative of how you you share that is just as probably actually probably even more powerful or more important than the data itself yeah. um and that could be just sharing it in a different way like i spent a lot of time on charts and what's the best way to, to present data what's the best way to 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 um to essentially tell a story yeah because if the human we you know we are compelled towards narratives and stories and sort of uh and and that's how we think you know we don't think in in discrete binary fashion we we think in narratives yeah so we have to translate that and i think if you look at journalism as an example i think that's a really great area where you see data journalism now is now taking over in terms mm. of the storytelling some of the some of the, the the articles now that are really data driven is just really awesome and i think generally speaking whether you're working for your own data team in, in a company um any company it's that type of narrative that you actually need to build so i would like data scientists and in my team i encourage them to really build out not just the best quantitative you know capacity and skills but also how you communicate that you know how you actually get that how do you how would you write that and, and engage that mm -hmm. to someone who doesn't know to your grandmother like how would you know that how would you try and do that 
Um, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's hugely important. Um, um, yeah, from from a from an impact perspective. Uh, so I, I learned that very. Yeah, I've, I learned that. I mean, facts don't speak for themselves. I've realized that, and you need to. I mean, look at the debate. Look at what's happening now in the in the media. I mean, it's it's extremes now. It's all just these snapbot snapshot, mm-hmm. you know, um, cherry picking of data, all sorts of stuff that's going on from COVID to to climate to whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, that's 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 a challenge. You know, well, whilst data has entered the world, the mainstream, you've now got the general public, which we'll get to on Emily in the streets having snippets of this what they believe to be how you should use data mm-hmm. or snippets of data and, and yeah. you know they're not data savvy people yeah but they go well i've got this one piece of data and that's what my whole life narrative is now attached to yeah. and it can cause more problems in some senses in that case and, and have you ever been in a presentation i'm guessing where you've just been up against something so belligerent where even though your story was on point oh, data was on point mm-hmm. they still went nah, just, we no just no, i mean that's the world we live in now that's yeah. the world that that's you know, like if, for example, when you know you just think of the hospitalisation and uh, and deaths caused by by COVID now in Australia, it's like most of the things, the majority of those in hospital are, are, have been vaccinated. You go, oh my, what? Does that mean this is just a com- yeah. massive conspiracy? Well, no, because ninety five percent of the population exactly. is like, so. Yeah. So it's it's. It's and the risk of the risk, and if you delve in the data, obviously there's still a you know five to fifteen times more likelihood that you'll you know you'll you'll um, go to hospital when you're not back. So you know you can you can you can it's been weaponized now misinformation and partic- and data has now. Um, the thing for me, I've I've been in that space for a long time, um, way before you know Twitter and Facebook. You just had mainstream media. You had you know people and talking about climate change is this massive conspiracy and yeah. the science is still you know there's massive debate and you, you can't really you, it's hard to argue against a snippet it, it, how do you rationalize a debate over you know in, in sound bites you sort of can't it's very yeah. difficult to do that so to your point you can't really take on those those who are not open so i don't necessarily i don't engage those who aren't sort of open i change my I change my viewpoint based on what the evidence at hand. I don't. I don't really care. I mean, I'd love someone tomorrow to come and win the Nobel Prize and say, "Actually, the science is bullshit. You forgot about this thing. <laughs> you forgot about this effect. That'd be awesome." Exactly right. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so that's the whole process. So, yeah, I yeah. think um, we have to just take that into account. That there's, I don't know what the proportion is. Five percent, one percent of the extremes who are never going to listen to whatever data or whatever truth you give them. Exactly, and they're the um, the loud minority, right? And all we yeah. see in the newspapers yeah. and whatever news article you're reading is those who are shouting the loudest. But the ninety percent that are generally in the middle that just get on with life in a sense, you know, rather than. But all we hear is, "Oh, the whole world is divided, and one's yeah. on this side and one's on that side." So, yeah, I can yeah, imagine exactly had some interesting conversations over the years um it's it's yeah. something that i find quite frustrating and the, the podcast we've just released today actually with a gentleman called yep. Dean who works for endeavor and energy the key theme in that um podcast was pushing ego to the side working with data it doesn't matter if you've spent 10 years saying one thing as soon as that evidence that is irrefutable comes up you have to be able to push your ego to the side and say do you know what 
it's not about me and making myself feel better. It's the fact that we have to change our opinion, um, which is very hard for some people. Yeah, to do. And, and, and again, going back to your point before about the narrative, that can be changed. That the, I guess the, it's data can always enlighten new new sort of caves, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they can it can and and I think Kans Rosling was the key. Right, I mean, if you look at what he did. Um, I don't know if you know him, but he's he's this data scientist in um, uh, he's now passed though. But he was he was all around showing the optimistic side. It was truthful in the sense that the optimistic side of what human progress was happening over the last twenty years. Because we could, you can t- take it and go. Actually, uh, if you look at all these trends going towards I don't know biodiversity and you know overfishing or you know plastics in the ocean or what have you. You can you can sort of that's still that's cherry picking too, right? You could just actually take that in and just go, oh my god, the world's it's a catastrophe. But in reality, you need to sort of look at a broader picture as well. And if you look at I don't know prosperity and poverty, the the opposite numbers. If you look at crime, for example, as a function of in the developed world, I'm talking about, yeah, it's 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 the lowest in the 30 years. And and then you have you know you have these snippets of like massive riots in the US or what have you is going on. You think it you could you would think it's chaos, but it's actually Absolutely. you sort of take a bigger picture and you, you look at a from a from someone who creates that narrative around actually the, here's the broader picture and the data. It's really powerful. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's really it's, re- it's really important to 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 not be closed minded. Yeah, my rabbit hole moment came around 24, 25, and I just had to pull myself out of it because you just can get depressed if you take all the negative yeah. pieces of what's going on in the world and you have to get yourself out of it. Um, well, look, let's, let's um, yeah. lighten the mood up slightly, I guess, because we could I honestly go on, on a million topics about, about this, but um, I guess it's quite poignant right now. If your job, I'm asking you as well, James, so you can think about what Ben's answering. If your job was made into a TV show, who would play you and what TV show, or maybe movie, would it be like, and the only reason I'm saying it is you could legitimately say Leonardo DiCaprio, I guess, after <laughs> the, the recent movie that came out. Oh my God, I have no idea. I don't know. It's like, I, um, I would, I would, I like this. Sort of, I'm, I'm right now into the dark dramas on Netflix, like Ozarks. I don't even know yes. that. So, it's, so I, I'm, I'm massively into that Jason Bateman right now. So, yeah, maybe nice. him. <laughs> yeah, good, good show. <laughs> Yeah. And have you got any shows or movies that you, your life would be based on? My life would be based on. So, like, you mean a movie that's like yeah. a, 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 oh gosh, no idea. Um, um, I can't think of one. I don't like talking about myself. Maybe that's that's what that, that's what the deal is. I don't know. Well, who would be you in a movie, James? Oh, I don't know. I was thinking about who would do us as a job, and I was trying to think who would match like the mindset. Who would that be then? Um, well, there's a show on Netflix I love called Queen of the South, and the main character Teresa, and I forget the actual actress's name, but she's like a obviously it's a very different setting, but she's a big problem solver. Right. Okay. And I think she adapts quite well, which I think you need in this sort of industry. Um, who play me in a movie? I'm not good with because I don't. I don't relate to a lot of movie people, but I really like Johnny Depp, so I'd always oh, just choose Johnny him kids. if he could be. What about um, Tom Hiddleston? Loki in the Marvel movies. Ah, uh, maybe. You know, he's quite seen. tall and similar, but anyway, we're getting. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, all right, so so back to your to your um, I guess career, shall we say, Ben? Yeah. You've now moved from academia into 
um, a startup. So let's let's pick on that firstly, because there's so many people who do struggle to make that mm. change from academia into the commercial world. So have you always had a bit of a toe in the commercial world or has it been a very big transition for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, it's not very, it's not usual to leave a tenured position and sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, a, a job for life and go into <laughs> something that's very risky. Um, so I think I've always not, I've always been driven by impact around what I do. And so I don't, I don't really care for titles or, you know, earning squillions or what have you. It's more around, it's more around impact. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've always had that, that bent. And when, and the moment where I sort of think I'm becoming stale instead of the impact I'm creating, then I'll move. Like yeah. I'll move to whatever next um, venture project idea it is, I think. So yeah. I think it was, it, it, in that regard, it was, it's, um, the academia is very non-commercial. It's all research oriented, but, you know, I've always had, um, people around me that that uh, are very commercial and very savvy and you know so I think my friends my family um, uh, and and some of the colleagues who always I used to be in touch with would keep me in you know keep me in touch that way of like what's going on mm-hmm. so I think that was probably the 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 impetus so it's, it, it actually yes it's a huge it's a huge change and it's a big risk and no one usually does it yeah but it's sort of it's definitely suited for me uh in terms of my outlook on life and career and is there any advice that you could give people taking that i mean as you said leaving a tenured position is not just leaving maybe you've done your phd and you're thinking of doing another one this is you've really kind of put yourself out there any advice for people as to the differences between the two worlds yeah i think i actually think um there's a big difference between the two worlds. The research is is not very collaborative. Like I've I've found industry and where I'm now is is we're super collaborative, as mm. in day to day solving problems. In research, you're sort of left to your own devices in many regards. Um, you've got your team, but each each team member, like a, a um, students, will be working on their own problem. It's not a day to day cadence. So yes, it's you know weekly or something. You get you know you, you review something, but it's it's not as collaborative. I found in research, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because that's not rewarded actually. So there's a it's, there's a lot of incentives that are problematic in research yeah. that that lead to this. Um, but but that's where I think the bigger one lies is really is not necessarily the the, the challenges are you know. I mean, I guess the challenges are generally in research are longer term too. You don't have a short term time frame to turn things around. Um, so you can eat, I think in, from research side, there's more complex problems. So there's, there's, there's different, there's big differences, but you know, I think there's, there's pros and cons in both really. Yeah, I can imagine. All right. Well, yeah. before we, as I say, get into the Emmy side of things, let's go and find out um, what people on the streets do know about data, which is always one of my favorite parts of the show. Um, so what we'll do is, oh, here we go. So the question this week is what do data engineers do? So, you know, for someone like yourself and us, maybe quite an easy question, but um, we usually have five or six people who've answered the same question. So how many people do you think know what data engineers do, do you reckon? Oh, all oh, right, 5%. 
percent. Nothing. Okay, so I don't think anyone. They just go. Those. What they they would. I don't know what they'd say. Okay. I don't know what that's like. What do you reckon the general? I was going to be optimistic and yeah. say like two out of six. Two out of six? Okay, so still okay. pretty low. All right, well, let's let's find out and um, see what the people said. What does a data engineer do? They don't actually know. They do the th they, they work with the they, they work with the data to then create reports and help people to understand what the data actually means. They build pipelines. Managing data. Um, they pull data and they put it into a system. The data engineer engineers the data um, <laughs> that is required by businesses to uh, make decisions. Alright, let's get back to it. Well, that well was first things first, the gentleman at the end who said Data engineers, engineer data can't because you've just used the words to describe what they do. So that, <laughs> um, the gentleman at the beginning reports an insight. I won't give him that either. No. The one, the pipeline one was good. Yeah, that like that's someone who knows. That, there's no yeah. way that's a general public. You no. think that? Well, maybe they're in the. They do, we did catch a couple of people who were kind of. You know, one person who we spoke to who wasn't on that um, knew everything. We're like, well, what do you do? And they were like, oh, I'm a, a data analyst. We're like, oh, okay, well, there you go. Obviously, yeah. you know, there are yeah. they are out there on the street sometimes. Um, yeah. There's other part of me that thinks if you take the words data engineer, what do engineers do? They build things. So maybe, but yeah, you think so. They that was one. Yeah. And there was one other who said they get data and put it into systems. We probably wouldn't. Would we give them that? Yeah, I guess it's something that I mean. It's 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 getting there. I guess it, yeah. There's a structurized. I mean, engineers build the framework to make the data flow. You know, yeah. like I mean, yeah. I guess there's something towards that. I'm I'm sort of surprised that they actually yeah. did a reasonable job there. Yeah, not bad. I'd give them one point five out of five. That I would say overall, which is pretty good. <laughs> the, we asked them quite a lot of questions, and I think that might have been one of the last questions. So they had at that point really got to thinking about the data world. So maybe yeah, okay. it caught them in that I right jog, zone. Yeah, jog the mind a bit. Yeah. yeah, I see. This is what the theme is. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Anyway, yeah. well, anyway, that was pretty good. I'm in, I'm impressed with the general public. Um, all right, so data jokes. My favourite part of the show because I don't ever do one. So I get to sit here and laugh at how bad everyone else's data jokes are. Um, James, would you like to go first or second? No, I'll let Ben go first. Okay, Ben. Well, I don't have data jokes. The only one I know of that's you know that's vaguely a joke is the. Um, what would you would you follow? Would you follow someone into a burning building and the AI says yes, I would. <laughs> It reminds me of that, um, do you remember, I don't know if you watched The American Office, when Michael drives into the lake because the sat-nav told him to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen that. Well, that yes. was Apple Maps, right? That was Apple Maps in the early days. Yeah, Apple Maps, exactly. <laughs> right, James, it's your moment. Um, what does a baby computer call its father? Data, data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Good delivery, though. <laughs> so... Good. All right. Um, so the last political question before we get into exactly what Emmy does, um, yep. one of my favourite questions. If you had an audience with Scott Morrison, what data would you show him? I would show him the, the a function. I would show him the data that, that around the world that where economic prosperity is matched with re reduction in emissions. So it's actually, per, you know, 
So this, there's a whole idea that if you do something well for the economy, it's bad for the environment. That's just a complete fallacy. Right? So I would show him that because I think he's still in that old world of thinking. Do you think he'd listen? Probably not. <laughs> Sorry, we won't do any Scott Morrison bashing on this 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 week's show anyway. Yes, that's okay. uh, all right, well that's a great segue then into Emmy. So um obviously we've worked with you um a little bit, Ben. So yep. we have a vague idea, I hope, of <clears> what <throat> you do. But you know, my understanding is that you're trying to create a net zero world and you're engaging with investors um, and in the investment world, which maybe most people wouldn't ever think of as an area that would be too worried about net zero. I guess that's a good sign that there's a changing sentiment in, in people who do invest, that they're yep. more careful with their money, which is great. But obviously over to you to exactly what ME is. And, and yeah, what sure. Well, so I think just to just to set things up, I mean, I think everyone has probably learned that over the last, particularly the last couple of years, the, there's just been this massive push towards uh, companies and countries going towards net zero, trying to get to a target of net zero by by 2050. Um, and that's great because that's what the science is telling us in terms of limiting warming, hopefully giving us a chance to limit warming by um, 1.5 degrees, mm -hmm. which uh, avoids the worst sort of the consequences of climate change. But to do that, the question is what next? What is, how does the whole economic infrastructure that the world's in, how do you price that? How do you try and propagate through, go, okay, this company... Given that we have this constraint of going towards net zero, what is this company? How is that? How are they positioned mm. versus this company? Um, right now, there's no way to do that. There's mm. no way to quantify the framework to which you can actually even just understand uh, how each company, each country, each uh, portfolio as an investor, how you quantify that. Um, mm. So we set out about to, to, to try and fix that, to essentially create the data infrastructure that allows anyone to really understand and quantify the, 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 the risks and the opportunities in the net zero world to allow them to then deploy their capital, their investments, their, their resources towards uh, the opportunities and the, and, the, and, the, and the solutions. So it's really, um, we combine carbon data. So we have an emissions project where we're using, um, you know, the buzzwords that I hate, that I hope you guys talk about. Mm. We, we're using predictive skill to try and come up with corporate emissions yeah. when, when they have never, even the company themselves don't know what they are. So essentially we can actually predict their emissions using just their finances, for example. Wow. Um, that's one project that's really important for us because it builds, that's the, that's the data infrastructure that allows us to then feed financial data as well as the, the climate science data, so the top-down, what are the budgets that we need, mm -hmm. feed that into essentially our algorithm, our platform and our infrastructure to then allow a playground, essentially allow the world to sort of look at all companies on a on an even on an even basis. So how is it? How does this company perform versus that company? And then you aggregate up to portfolios. So let's say mm. our current clients um, are mostly investors, uh, super funds. They're wanting their their capital to be towards zero. How do they do that? So we we essentially build the tools to allow them to to actually understand that, and then 
and then act and have and then um, action that. So how do they deploy their capital towards this low carbon, you know, net zero world? So essentially, that's what we're trying to do. And the, and the reason we do that is, and I, I've sort of switched into this space, is that if we, if the if the financial ecosystem is if if that is empowered and changes towards net zero and there's mm. structure to do that that will be the biggest that'll have the biggest impact on climate change without doubt i mean yes we talk about elon musk but honestly that's just a, a very small fraction of how big this challenge is but if you deploy the world's capital mm. towards net zero you've solved pretty much the equation yeah so that's 100%. where so that's where we've that's what we're building essentially allow that to happen and empower that money talks basically is what we, we, we're discussing here. yeah as, as an example i'll give you one like key example like you know this is all isn't just governments well no it's it's actually not it's it's um the government sort of set the waffling frameworks they're like oh yeah we're going to do this, this but now the investment community is really taking or the finance community is really taking shape so as an example um Larry Fink, who, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he's the CEO of BlackRock, and BlackRock are the the they're, they're in New York. They they essentially they manage I don't know eight trillion dollars of worth of investments and money. So people come to them, pension funds, what have you, and they they manage the money. <clears throat> well, the last two years, he said the essentially Larry Fink said if if climate climate change can essentially cause the next financial crisis, there's 50, 50 trillion or something at risk. If you don't, as a company, have a net zero pathway that's credible, we are pretty much not going to invest in you, uh, and you will go bankrupt. In the net, this is like not tomorrow, but this is over a transition. So, that's that's not governments talking. That's not mm. like you know, which is all fluff. Politicians. This is this is like the heart and core of the finance, the the economic ecosystem that we have. That is is shaping this, so it's really great. That's taken shape, and and most others are really are really eager to you know to essentially not only understand what's happening, but also because there's opportunities here. It's not about just saying oh it's all a cost, it's all a cost. There's actually huge opportunities in innovation and areas where um, we know there's going to be big solutions. So, and I don't care if they're not doing it ethically. I don't care when it's morally, but. We need capitalism to be drive, driven towards the problem. And right now, there's no way to do that very effectively. And so we want to try and do that. So when you're talking about impact, I mean, we're talking about real world global impact here. This, this isn't just, you know, a, a small yeah, like, uh, So we're global. So we, we cover, you know, all the 42,000 equities across the world. We have, you know, um, clients and and uh, investors that, that, that uh, you know, from... Mostly, I mean, there's London, and right now we're still startup stage, so we've still got seed seed funding. So we're a couple of years old in terms of the 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 traction. Um, so, but yeah, it's global in nature. You know, we've we're um, we're all about the impact. If we have impact where we need to be, it has to be global. So yeah, um, yeah for sure. And so your customer base is the the large investment funds, the hedge funds. I mean, maybe large individual investors as well. Would this impact? small-scale investors as well who are able to access this data or yeah so at this stage we're, we're focused on the institutional investors so yeah the super funds so where you're when you know the the nine percent or twelve percent whatever it is that you 
you know, you, you actually are putting towards your super fund, your, those, those funds will be, some of those will be working with in terms of their super. Um, so it's mostly the super funds and also asset managers. They're the ones who, mm. they're the ones who are a little bit, you know, they're, they're, they're the funds themselves. They run their own fund as an example. Yeah. They're the, they're the ones we are working with as well. Brilliant. And a lot of those, and, and a lot of those are really on the journey. Like some of them are really just starting this journey. Like, what do we do with net zero? Like, how do we, how do we allocate where our capital goes? Yeah, exactly. I know uh, what it and is. others are really sophisticated. Um, so that's where in London, it's, it's, it's more sophisticated than where we are, but in the U S it's sort of behind. It's quite, it's quite behind. Um, yeah, so, sense. so, so yeah, that's, that's where that's that's uh, it's exciting because it's um it, it's a really it's a new market in the sense that it's we have to educate a lot it's not just about showing people the quant stuff it's more around education because they're like what what do you mean that you know carbon intensity and like, how do i how do i measure um how do i measure carbon performance across my portfolio what does that mean mm-hmm. like these are all sort of new very new ish concepts yeah, but they'll be part of the ether going forward so it's it's really exciting to actually yes work around data and and, and that uh and a cutting edge problem but also communicating that and 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 helping helping the 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 um the i guess the industry um be educated and move along the journey as we all move towards net zero so one of the key questions I had about that today was I'm lucky enough at the stage of my life where I am my wife and I are starting to think where our money is and yep. my wife's very conscious of sustainability and, and, and climate change and has, has yep. said, yeah, you know, I only want our money invested in places that I deem as you know yep. ethical in my eyes. How how does say someone like James or me, people on the street, how do we approach our super fund and say, Hey, you know, we want to be invested in, you know, next are, are you are we able to say, hey, go and talk to this company, you should be onto them? Like, how do we as individuals help to impact this moving forward? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's and that's, that's exactly your point, you know, that, that it's it's like same thing with, with companies. Like, so you, we, we do have the capacity to, um, to, to make the impact we can, we at least try to make the impact that we can for companies. So if a company is doing something, you can engage them and, Say, look, what's what's your plan here um, for your super funds? Like, mm. but you are investing, like directly investing your money. Well, some may not know, but you are into these these funds. And Australia has one of the the highest, I think, fourth highest super fund industry in the world. It's huge because of the because of the um, you know the, the long legacy and the, and the guarantee. So you, you can actually ask them, what's you know. Yeah, what's how can I get my what are your what are your strategies and what's your um, you know you have certain different selections and portfolios what how are they aligned with the net zero world yeah um, can you check you know can you check with them you can if you want to I mean I'm happy for you guys too and whoever want, who's out there um, and you know we can engage with them and say look here's where you're at they may not know some of them bigger the biggest super funds that we're working with aware super yeah. They're very sophisticated around this. They're really up there in terms of global leaders. They're up there, um, but you know, there's 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 other ones who are really just starting. So sure. I think you can really, you can. I mean, yes, it takes a bit of time for you to learn, 
Um, and it's it's not a easy. Here's a ranking of all the super funds down the road. I hope we can get there. We can actually yeah. do that. <laughs> so that would be that would be something down the road we could probably do. Yeah. Um, but at this stage, we do need the data. Like what is the portfolios? Like so, we don't we we don't have all the portfolios there anyway. So, um, so yeah. So and I think that's where data can can actually be really powerful to under to unlock a lot of the the I guess accelerate the movement towards. Um, uh consumer demand because as you say like their businesses too if consumers are moving towards that this this space then they will also follow so it's sort of like a it's a it's a positive feedback there but it's great that you've named one company that because that is the thing right is is if the consumers move and enough people are saying hey we're aware of this we want this then the businesses will look at their model and they'll want to be a leader in that space and then from there the others get dragged along and i'm guessing the same in the investment space as certain hedge yeah. funds and investment management funds say hey we're doing this and they drive business towards them because of that everything comes you know, as a, as a trail behind yeah. it. But there's uh, so much fluff out there, though, uh, isn't yeah. there? Like, so that's the thing. Every company is trying to push their their own agenda, and you go, "What's truth? Like, what's actually the truth here? Like, what are you?" So that's where data comes in. You you sort of can benchmark that. And you now I'm hoping we can publish things in the future where where you or anyone can see, um, you know, where where the actual data lies. Um, exactly. So like, for now. Lies in terms of where it sits, not lies. Yeah, yeah exactly. So now what, what we can <laughs> data do... Data can't lie. No, data can't lie. It can, yeah. So <laughs> we can do as um, individuals right now is we can get in touch with our super fans and we say, hey, this is something I'm concerned about. This is something that I'm interested in. Can you please let me know how my portfolio is diversified? And if it's if it's not in a certain area that you're happy with, then you... you I guess you talk with your feet and either move to a new super fund or your super fund turns around and says, yeah, we're, we're looking into that and we're we're on the right path, basically. That's what we can do yeah. as individuals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, exactly. Really interesting topic that. So and, and so how's it going just generally as a business? You guys, you said you had seed funding round, you're growing, you, it's going well so far? Yeah, so we've, we've, um, we've, we've got, um, I can't remember the headcount we have now, but yeah, the seed funding was, was good. We raised that last last august um the, from the product side we're really we're really going very you know it's it's amazing what we're sort of being able to do because when you have a great team you know um it's and a collaborative team there's there's just just a lot you can achieve obviously and that's pretty that's obvious but but it's uh it, it's great that we're all uh, impact focused but skilled at what we do you know yeah. so so it's it's really great to see um, the trajectory, and so this year will be a very sort of big year. We're we're probably expanding quite even more. I would say there might be a there might be some more. You know, I mean, obviously the we are growing our our, our revenue. Um, the sales is going. You know, it's a long sales cycle for us, but once mm. you do have a sale, it's sort of they recognise the value, so it's there for right. you know for, for a lifetime, hopefully. Oh, <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's <laughs> so, uh, so just bringing you in a bit, James, here in the sense of um, what people want from their work. You know, we know that people want a good salary. That's still a key driver for everyone. Yeah. We know they want flexibility and work-life balance, and we know that they want um, to have interesting projects to work on. Are you hearing much in terms of people talking, hey, like Ben said, I want a job that is impactful, that is um, yeah, effective as well? Mm. That, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested think, about that. 
Yeah. A lot of people, I think, especially in the last sort of like four to five months, it seems to be a shift of if I'm going to move, I want to be in a role where I can really deliver something. I can be part of change or I can actually bring value or I can bring something to the table where I can know whether it's a three month or a 12 month or an 18 month period, kind of sit back and be like, I did something yeah. and I've actually impacted, not just be a cog in the machine, so to speak. Maybe be someone who can be involved in building new machines. And is that the kind of person would they sit there and say, I would take a slightly lower salary or a, a lower paying job or a different job title for that? Is it got that far or people not quite that point? I think people would, would sidestep and maybe take a little bit of a cut. I wouldn't say it's to the point where people are ready to take like a big cut, but I think people if a the right, the right sort of role, the right opportunities put in front of them, and it's going to offer the ability for them to actually make a change. And also, like say, if you have, like the amount of growth that you can actually yeah. do, and there is a long term like sort of pipeline, and you can actually see yourself there longer term. Mm. People are willing to kind of move sideways or maybe move down half a step and across yeah. to go up and get their journey going. Um, That's good to hear. So I think it's. It's so seeing that change because I think as what COVID taught us as well is that, you know, now we've got flexibility. Like, yeah, salaries across the data space have gone up. Um, although it's people are now like really focused on what they want to do and what they want to achieve. And like, even in like the five or ten years time, be like, what can I look at? What can I say I've done? What have I actually attributed to? Mm. Um, people seem to jump to healthcare. That's yeah. just the obvious. They go, oh, you know, healthcare would be great. I feel like that's going to make an impact. So. I think it's going to take yeah. more businesses like yours, Ben, but more bigger businesses talking about other yeah. areas that you can make an impact for people to realise because it must it is hard because you hear like the data industry, salaries are going up, salaries are going up. I want to be part of that. I want to make hay while the sun shines. But to then grab those people who go, you know what, it's it's not about that for me. It's about making a change because I I don't yeah. think. In the years that I've been doing it, it's really been a big conversation, but it's definitely starting to happen, which is good mm. to hear. Well, it, I guess it also depends on, I mean, there's a number of factors that also the company where they're at. Like, mm. so I, I mean, I'm generally speaking in, you know, if, if you want to be, if, if like early days of Tesla or whatever, Facebook, whatever it is, um, you would sacrifice like if you knew that to, if you're on a rocket ship, you just you want to be part of that team. Like mm, it yeah. doesn't for me, I would just want to be part of that team because I know the yes, they'll be impactful hugely to the world. Um, I think it's the same idea for, you know, if it, do you believe in this mission of this company? And do you um, uh, even if you weren't getting, you know, because it's not it's a startup, even if you're not getting the corporate salary that maybe about it, you're probably getting equity and you're probably actually the, you've got bigger reward potentially down the road by, you know, in a risk return perspective. So it, it sort of depends on where you're at in your risk appetite as well, to be honest. Um, so yes, there's impact, but then there's also, you know, <laughs> if you have your early days at a rocket ship, you, you come in and you just come in and work you work and you go what can yeah. i do <laughs> you exactly. don't go oh maybe five or ten k more my 140 or whatever it is yeah. you know that's that's sort of how i sort of also see it of course you know from our perspective we want to we want to be competitive with the best you know teams in the world um but there's only so much we can offer 
given where our stage. So mm. yeah, it, it is definitely, you know, the team, the, the people who come and work with us, um, they do have a few that they, they do have a different element of that. They have a few elements of all those areas where I just want, I want to be super impactful. I'll have, want to have autonomy around doing cool, awesome stuff, which you will too, because we're a small team ish, not a big corporate part of a cog. But at the same time, you want to be part of a rocket ship. You want to be you want to be learning the skills and using the tools that tomorrow in one month we just flipped. You know the different we went. Oh, we don't like prefect in our data stack. Well, well let's flip it to something else. Like you yeah. want to learn the latest, right? So, so there's all those elements. Yeah. Now that, that if you've got you know if you've got uh, responsibilities, you know, and mortgages and you know and kids and stuff, there's there's definitely a balance there. Um, you know, I, I think because there's a more of a risk, you know, but there's but there's higher on the reward side, 100%. I think. So, I guess the, yeah. the point you've got in the sense is that in the data industry, most people's brains work to a risk adverse um, way of thinking <laughs> because their whole life is spent analysing and seeing the worst and possibly yeah. the best that could happen. But um, but yeah, yeah, I think the things working with you, Ben, that was was great in terms of actually the sale of the company and the role when we're talking about the impact that you're making, it's the, it's the easiest thing to sell to people, but it is right. You just straight away 50% of the market. Go, Look, I'd love to do it, but I've just sent my second kid to a yeah. private school or I've just got a new mortgage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's just what it is, right? It's yeah, hundred percent. And we, I, I completely acknowledge that. Yeah. And that was, yeah. and uh, you know, the, the, and the, the, uh, the candidate that, 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 uh, that you guys helped us with it, we love him and, and he's been a really great part of the team and, super valuable um so and and so you know the for, from our side it's from my side it's it's so different to the academic environment that's such collaborative now I've, there's we've got uh, a really core group that's really great of course there's all these projects we want to get to that we can't do we can't do right now <laughs> but you know that's where um that's where as we grow we'll be we'll be we'll be looking for some more of those you know the, of those types of um of candidates and yeah. people to 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 be part of the journey like a hybrid kind of person as well right yeah you can wear a few hats i think um i was yeah exactly well. the skill set mm. yeah, yeah on on the balancing act is that you know the past sort of 20 or so years the climate has been a big focus like yeah. growing up that was always a big thing we learned in school in uni and like always in life so i'd say you know people have been in the industry you know entering now in the last sort of five ten or so years like we've grown you've grown up with it so it becomes a factor of when you think about your role and i think we're going to continue to see that over the next five and ten years of people entering the market that have grown up being taught about climate change and what's going on so it becomes a factor of when they think about the new role or what they want to do and how they're going to impact their career what's actually going to be a choice for them mm. so i think we're seeing a shift in the market in that as well people people growing up with it so it's always kind of going to be in the back of your mind be a factor that determines what you do and where you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, so not not long left now, Ben. Um, I, I thought a really good question to ask you yeah. a couple more before we get to a couple of fun ones at the end. If you could get your hands on a specific company's data or a locked data set, what would it be and why? Like maybe what could really impact Emmy and, and you know. Yeah, it would be, um, it'd be banks. Right. So, um, so, Right now, we can we can get a lot out of most sectors, but we can't we can't get deep into their loan books and who they're loaning money with. 
So that's a very private, you know, that's a private space where we can't get into. So we have to work with banks to to really one to one. But I'd love to get into, you know, their data to to really see um, how their exposures are, how, how they're looking in terms of um, their net zero loan books. Um, is it? Do you think it'll ever be something that you can get your hands on? Or it's it's definitely coming. That they can't be closed up for long, like because mm -hmm. the. There's so many, there's regulations now that um, are requiring it. So ASIC and others are saying, look, you, you're going to have to start to, companies disclose emissions, so your loan books will have to be disclosed too at some point. Mm. Um, I can't see it not happening. It's going to probably take a while, but but I think because um, that's, you know, sort of, sort of their advantage as well. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's inevitable. And what would be the advantage to the bank, for example, to, to open that up to you guys? Like, what would be the, the, the pitch to them in that sense? Well, the, oh, well, the pitch would be we can um, we, we can help you, A, avoid losing a lot of money, and but B, um, help drive you towards the, the opportunities and the problem, solving the problem. Um, yeah, nice. That would be yeah. it. The only reason I ask is I know, I know a guy, a good friend of mine, um, one of my best friends actually, he's director at one of the banks. So I might try and introduce you. He works in home loans. Um, so <laughs> no, I, might be able to, might be able to help at least start yeah. the conversation. It's probably at the CEO level, I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I would yeah. say, because I've never done that before. But yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'll see what I can do. Um, okay, brilliant. So look, the, the last one that I think would be really useful for people out there to know about you is um, any books that you would direct people to that you've, you've perhaps read over the years that, that would really get someone started thinking about maybe some of the stuff that you've been thinking about? Um, I reckon, uh, look, to be honest, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, there's, there's, there's a lot of different books that have inspired me. Um, but I, th I do think factfulness is the one that's, I think really awesome from a data perspective. Hans Rosling's uh, Factfulness, I don't know if you know it, but I, I love that book. Um, just how the narrative, it's data-driven, but it's all a narrative of how you present it. Mm. Uh, and it's all around all sorts of different indicators around human well-being. Um, so that, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, brilliant. All right, well, we'll put that out there. So now the most important question on all of the podcasts, and I'm guessing you might have think, thought about this, um, is which three people would you want with you in a zombie apocalypse? Now, maybe we could go for a climate apocalypse that's really applicable to you. Um, the, the caveat to this question is that your family is safe and they're in a bunker, so you okay. do not need to bring them along. Um, there's been a couple of common themes throughout, but I'm, I'm interested to see who you would want in that moment in time. Um, well, in a zombie apocalypse, there's no sort of, I assume we're just living, you know, there's no data availability and there's no, Correct. so what, what I want to, it's, I would want, um, I guess it's the same thing as about yeah, who's the dinner party guests, I guess. Yeah. Similar, sort of Very similar. Yeah. But you know, um, they're going to try and help you scavenge and all the rest of it as well. Don't forget, you know? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, so I guess, I guess a young David Attenborough. <laughs> yeah. That would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, from a, I guess the, I don't know, from a, from us, I'm very heavy into sports. Um, oh. So I, can I bring them back from the dead or? Oh yeah, whoever, fictional, non-fictional, dead, alive, whoever you want. Oh, I'd say Don Bradman. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I just want to, I just want to learn. You know, this he's the the data is so anomalous. He's a hundred, like hundred average. It's just yeah. it's just off the charts. Like 
What, how do you do that? Yeah. And look, as an Englishman, 99.9 average, just right. so you know, not 100. <laughs> um, but also, if you watch Shaun of the Dead, Cricket Bat is one of the most lethal zombie um, killing weapons. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty good. So he'd work. So you got David Attenborough, Don Bradman, and who's your third? Well, and the, the, the last guy is someone you, you guys probably don't know. His, his name's Perry Cross. Um, and he is... Um, so he's actually... I think of all the people in the world that have the the mental resilience um, to go through a zombie apocalypse, it's him because he was he was a quadriplegic in a rugby accident twenty five years ago, so he could not he can't breathe, and but usually the life expectancy of a quadriplegic is like three years. So Christopher Reeve, I don't know if you remember, he's mm. passed long time. It was a friend of his. So Perry's twenty five years young and still just just powering through it, and and his mental strength is insane. So if I was in a zombie apocalypse, I'd want him to just to bottle some of that mental resilience. Yeah, that's a great answer. He'd help lift everybody up in that yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Good answer. Um, well, you, you've said it all almost. Um, the last question we've got for you is, as a speaking of young data scientists, young data engineers, what, what advice yep. have you got for them in terms of making an impact? Like if you were to give them a, a, a tagline or a bit of, you know, advice, what would you give them? Um, just, uh, I would say, I would say be, be strong on the, the narrative around trying to present, be, know your audience is what mm. I try and try and, and say. So it's not, you're not talking when you're presenting something or tr trying to come up with new, new ideas or new, new analytics or whatever it is. Um, just know who your who your audience is and how that can be impactful and how I can share it in the right way. So I think it's not the data is not you know it's not going to present itself by by itself. Like you have to you have to be the narrator. So you have to be the the David Attenborough to to try and present your case. Um, yes. So that's what I'd say. Just just be not. Don't just focus on the data and what you know. Focus on the audience and what they need to know. Brilliant. Great advice. Mm. So thanks for coming on, Ben. Really enjoyed Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I, I, I'm told I have to keep these to an hour. I could have spoken to you for about three, I think. Um, really, <laughs> yeah, really no interesting stuff that you've been yeah, doing. Happy to, yeah, like it's, it's great that, um, you know, I, I always see, you know, your videos via LinkedIn feeds. I don't have much time, but um, I think it's really great what you're doing. And, you know, it's 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 good to see, um, you know, the, the data community is growing and growing in Australia and, you know, that we've got some really amazing people here. And uh, it's great to see that actually what you're doing is getting out there and creating that sense, you know, that, that community. It's great. I appreciate that. And anything else from you, James, before we clock off for the day? Uh, no, I'd say just um, like Ben said, just, be strong, know your audience, and keep pushing through. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again, guys. Really enjoyed that. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys all next week on the next week's show.